Hello, this is Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. It's me, Richard Herring. Uh, my guest this week is Doc Brown, also known as Ben Bailey-Smith. A fantastic comic, actor, singer, child's author. He does the lot. Unusually, we're recording this after the show, so I could tell you what's in it right now if you wanted. I'm not going to. Uh, if you enjoy these podcasts, at this time we're trying to fund them uh, via just you buying badges or maybe a DVD. You can go to gofasterstripe.com and buy a Kickstarter DVD, it's called, of me interviewing myself. Uh, and there's also some backstage interviews from Series 7 on that if you haven't seen those, which are... A, secret for people who pay monthly on the badges uh so if you buy that or buy a badge or if you go monthly on the badges you can get the secret channel and see all the backstage interviews um that's up to you but uh let's sit back and enjoy richard herring's esther square theater podcast with doc brown hello <laughs> welcome to richard herring's Leicester square theater uh, and <laughs> Please welcome a man who has not had sex with Robert the Robot. Not yet. Please, Richard Herring! <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. It's good to be back. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's, uh, it's called Rich Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. But uh, I was down at the arcade playing Space Invaders and Pac-Man. <laughs> the other day and some of the kids down there one of the kids on uh, the gauntlet 2 machine he was really good at it he was calling it roller stepper so I don't know if that's don't know if that's a new thing or not but that's definitely coming up uh, so uh, it's uh, I've got no uh, nothing's happened this week you're much uh, not, you're not as good as last week's audience they were they were much better uh, I, I, we'll talk to people in the audience uh, here we go. Should have set this up beforehand. Uh, there's David Frew. He's always here. Just, he's got a nice pint on the go there. Uh, David Frew's young friend. Uh, and uh, there's a gentleman here who likes the clapperboard at the beginning. What's your name, sir? Hi, I'm Dan. You're Dan. Hi, Dan. Um, what, if you could have sex with any robot, which robot would you have sex with? And it can be a robot of a human being if you want. Or you could not have sex with a robot, but try, think of one. Probably wouldn't, to be honest. Probably wouldn't, to be honest. This is why, mate, Dan, you will never be on this. You'll never, you will never be a guest on this, because that is not a good answer. And that's, you've got to come up with a good answer, funny answer that makes me look good. There is a piece of you on this. Have you wanked on my chairs during the interview? <laughs> is that what you're saying? What's happened, Dan? I'm a clapperboard man. You are. But that, that's not on the show, you understand that? Okay. <laughs> That's why it's the clapperboard. That's not. You are. You've got another. You've got a clapperboard. Oh, that's your. That's your own clapperboard. Ah! It's weird. Where did you get that from? Is that your clapperboard? It was. Yeah. Oh, that's. Okay. I remember. Dan, I remember that. I remember. Why have you still got the box? Evidence. One day you'll come to me. You'll ask about the clapboard, and I'll prove that it was my clapboard with a box. You, anyone could come with a box, Dan. Anyone could come with a vaguely clapperboard shape. Let's see. Let's see. Let's do a little Cinderella on this. Oh no! Is there is there polystyrene in there? There is. Oh god, that is my worst fear. We're finding. No, well, then it won't work. Well, let's do. It. I'm going to have to do it. You'll see how much I hate polystyrene. Ah! Ah, this is literally hell for me. Ah! 
It does fit. Okay, I'll accept. There's Dan, the clapperboard man. Is this the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life? Are you uh, single, Dan? He said, expecting the answer, yes. I put it like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yes. Nothing. nothing. You're nothing. Yeah. You don't have to be anything. Would you like to have a partner? Because we can sort it out via the... Oh, that is not true, Dan. I would like, I'd love to be with you if I wasn't married. Uh, were you looking for a man or a woman or either? Oh. It's one of these slags will suck you off, honestly. They were this, yes, they were it. Honestly. You can have one of the ones that would have sucked me off in the old days. They don't mind, they'll do it for, you'll do it for me, won't you, girls? Or boys, depending on which it is. Okay, I'll leave you alone, Dan. But thank, thank you very much. Thanks for the clapperboard. Sorry. You're very welcome. Okay. Are you taking it back again now, or can I? Can I keep. Unless I find Andy McH's. I don't know why I'm doing Andy McH's one. It's a very interesting story. So, you know, I was wrong. You have turned into the perfect. I think I'm just gonna, we'll just send uh, Doc Brown home, I think. And we could talk about, we'll just talk about clapperboards for the. <laughs> it was looking very disappointed. He looked at his watch there and then looked very disappointed. Oh. Well, if you're gonna have a guest, I could go and see Bridget Christie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you are funny. Okay, so, um, <laughs> thank you, Dan. That was Dan, ladies and gentlemen, who gave me a clapboard. <laughs> and we'll never, we'll never have sex. So will you please welcome, <laughs> like everyone who listens to this podcast, let's face it, if you were having sex, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, and you know it, so you're no better than him. <laughs> and, for, and I'm married, so I'm not having sex either. So will you please welcome uh, a man who is best known as, I can't read my own writing, Plithy Nondeplume from Little Howard's Big Question. That's why we're all here to see him in real life. It's Doc Brown, also known as Ben Bailey Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Come on, sit down. Ow. Make yourself at home. How are you uh, doing? I'm pretty good. I always feel a bit weird about this venue. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I, I died on my ass here <laughs> a few times. Me doing too. Stand up. Did you, did you ever get that thing when you were like a bit newer to the game? Yeah. And uh, you started to think that certain venues were against you. Oh, so yeah. you'd kill yourself before you died, you know? <laughs> yeah. At gigs. And I had that here. The last time I did it, I can't remember who was comparing. Somebody good. Yeah. I came on and got silence for 20 minutes. Could be an and hour and a half of it today. Jesus <laughs> Christ, I'm telling you. And this curtain here was pulled across. And you know when you're getting that serious silence where like you can hear the floorboards squeak and you can hear the smack of your mouth on the mic and all that shit. And uh, then I went, anyway, so yeah, it's my, it's my time. And, uh, and I couldn't find the gap in the middle of the curtain. So I was like fumbling around <laughs> and then I just had to give up and I started pulling the end of the curtain and trying to get it up high enough for me to like crawl out. And I got off stage and you, you know that horrible cold feeling you get. And then, then I heard the compare, 
you know, try and drum up a round of applause, and then when it died down, he went, well, that was embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> no, that's why I hate it when Compare does that. But it's good to be back, guys. We'll pull the curtain. It sounded like the curtain was pulled across as you were on. That's why I thought, <laughs> as I was on, a curtain was being closed slowly and thrownly until that would be good. I want to say, I gave you the nice chair, right? When I, when I started, and I just remembered when I, I sat down very heavily. There's a big spring in the middle of this chair that is broken. <laughs> so I sat down very heavily like that, and there's a, it's like just from uh, Justin's house. I've got a, I've now have a you're spring up my show, anus. Aren't you? You're big on that I, I love that show. Well, you're on CBeebies as well. You've got a lot in common with last week's guests. I did stories. Yeah, I, I saw a bit of it. Yeah. I, you, know, you, know, you know how fucking long you have to wait to get that gig? <laughs> I didn't get offered that gig. I begged for that gig <laughs> when, when my children were very, very small. Of course. Because, you know, that's the way to be a hero to your kids, get yeah. on bedtime stories. So I thought, you know, you just walk into this shit. They must be desperate <laughs> for celebs to do it. So I, you know, I used the context I had at CBBC to yeah. call some people at CBBS. I speak to the producer, and she's like, "Join the fucking queue, mate." <laughs> she goes, "You're behind Dame Judy Dench, bitch." <laughs> Took me three years. My kids didn't even give a shit by the time I got there. <laughs> They're too old. They're Ten and seven. They're like, "Why are we watching this shit?" Uh, <laughs> did you meet any of the CBB stars backstage? Did you meet? I Bing? did. Yeah, did I met Bing? Kerry. I met Kerry, okay, the one with, with the one arm. I know and, Kerry. Um, uh, the guy, what's his name? I, I was convinced he was gay. Right. I've got four kids. You know the little one. What's his name? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm more interested in the female presenters on CB. That, I, I, there's, there's some nice girls on CBBS. The, well, I like the Welsh one. I fancied everybody on yeah. CBBS. <laughs> I, you get, when you've got little babies, you just sat around the house, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I had feelings for Kerry for a long time. Yeah, and meeting nice. her is it's like, they're, so, they're just so... Oh, they're so wholesome, you know? Yeah. Everyone's so wholesome on there. Just, yeah, they have to be now. You want to fuck everybody. It's not, you weren't on a long queue, they just had to take three years to check every single moment of your past, just check there was nothing in there. <laughs> Uh, but do you remember uh, Pliffy Non de Plume in Little Howard's Big Question? It was so mad when you said that because I don't think I'd thought about oh. it since it happened. But it's it a stand Howard Reed, right? Yeah, yeah, no, he's great. A brilliant stand up who he created like a sort of kind of a cartoon character and he used to do these amazing live stand up shows with a cartoon character on a screen that uh, I don't know if he voiced the character as well. Yeah. And it was like Big Howard and Little Howard. And there was an adult version of it where the cartoon character would swear and stuff. And then he, he realized that there was a much bigger market for a weird little cartoon character on the stage. Yeah. Started doing these kids shows and they were a huge hit. So then he, had, he turned it into a CBBC show. Right. And I auditioned for the role when I, just when I first started acting. I just like the name, Pithy, Pithy Nom de Plume. Yeah. Yeah. What, it was like an educational show. I right. can't remember <laughs> exactly uh, what I did. on It was a long time ago. Yeah, no, that's um, why I asked about it. But yeah. <laughs> to see if it dredged. Yeah. I think you never know with these things sometimes. It was, a, it was crucial though, because that, that got me like contacts at CBBC. And the right. producer of this show um, was instrumental actually in... Um, hooking me up with a, a, a lady who worked at CBBC who um, was interested in this idea I had um, for a kid's show. Right. And it was, it was Ben Walker, the producer of this show, who, who got me that meeting and really pushed me Oi, to ben. get my ideas forward. So. What are you getting in meetings for? <laughs> 250 quid a week I'm giving you here. <laughs> uh, yeah, that got me my start in ten. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, amazing. Cool. Uh, so, well, a bit like Lauren, because you started in music... 
I mean, you've mm. got both very fascinating uh, life stories for you and Lauren, which was uh, which connected these two, uh, admittedly weak apart podcasts. <laughs> I'm still I'm still very moved by last week's one, so it's still very heavily on my mind. Uh, but uh, both, you know, you were you were um, both started music and then have, have kind of branched out in lots of different ways. Uh, you were in North London, were Northwest London, Wilsdon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is hard to find. I looked up Wilsdon things to do to try and get, get in with you. <laughs> Did you ever go to the Museum of Brands, Packaging and Advertising? I had no idea that it's existed not even, in Wilsdon. It's not right. even in Wilsdon. It's the top thing. If you go, what, things to do in Wilsdon? Right. It's in Labrick Grove. Yeah, that's, 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 how, that's how bad. And that's the top thing to do in Labrick Grove? Well, it's the top even though carnivals <laughs> in Labrick? No, it's the top thing to do in Wilsdon. Oh, right. And well, and so get on the 52 the, to Labrick Grove. Get to Labrick Grove. To, right, okay. And it's not even, yeah, don't go to the Notting Hill Carnival. It's go to go to Labrick <laughs> Grove and go and look at some packaging and advertising. Wow. That's what they think of you in Wilsdon. <laughs> no, so, I used to, like... It, I only ever had like one holiday when I was a kid. My, my dad used to always drive us in his Lancia. You remember Lancia's? Mm-hmm. Down to Cornwall. And we go to Cornwall every single year right 16 years and um <laughs> we'd go to like national trust houses and stuff like that and yeah. we'd have to change the area of cornwall we went to every year because every year my dad would f- he'd want to go back and go oh it's a fucking ruin now it's just full of tourists like we weren't tourists you know so we'd have to go to a more like obscure part of cornwall every year that 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 was that was what i did with my summers but the rest of the year in wilston it's just kicking around smoking weed drinking k's k's you remember k's i don't remember k's yeah, well, some of you, a lot of the audience are like younger than me. We didn't have like amazing sweet alcoholic drinks when I was a kid. It was beer, hard spirits, cider, or Mad Dog 2020. That's what we had. <laughs> and uh, for us, it was K. Drink K until you puke. That was that was what we did in Wilson. Uh. Yeah, it's not. I mean, there's a big uh, railway station there, isn't there? Wilson Junction. Yes, yeah, yes, good. there is. Yeah. I sometimes pass through there on the way up to other very, places. Very, very close, <laughs> very close to car giants. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of Europe's biggest second-hand car dealers. Oh, well, I, if, if only I'd find out about that. That would have that would have been a great question. <laughs> <laughs> and did you not like school very much? I'm I'm picking that up yeah, from your I was, music. I wasn't. I just wasn't an academic, and also I wasn't. Like, I thought in my head I was, like, super confident and, like, really cool. But every day I went to school, there was, like, every other boy obviously didn't share my, <laughs> my vision. So I just, I was, I was kind of, I was popular at, at primary school. Right. It's easy to be the man at primary school, do you know what I mean? You just have to watch a TV show that no one's seen yet or something like that, and it's enough to propel you. But, yeah, <laughs> secondary school was, like, ah. Uh, yeah, it was. I but didn't enjoy it. You're saying because you, you're called Doc, you, were, you got the nickname Doc Brown because you were nerdy and geeky. Yeah, I was like a geek, man. I was. I was. First of all, I was overweight as as a kid. Okay. I I, I wear glasses. I always wore glasses, and um, you know, if anyone can remember what secondary school's like, kids don't need much, right? <laughs> it can be anything about you. So, gl- glasses, just glasses, would have been enough. Being overweight, that would have been enough. To have those two, as well as having my mum cut my hair, right? (laughs) And also not having uniform at school is a bitch. Like, that seems cool. Yeah. It's not cool because unless you've got parents who buy you shit, my mum didn't buy me shit. Like, she didn't believe in trainers that cost, you know, over 10 pounds. So, like, the first day I went to school, I wore like a, a sort of polo shirt type deal with gray tracksuit bottoms and then like low cut DMs, like DM dress shoes, like black shoes oh, yeah, 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 yeah. with rubber soles. 
I mean, I do know because I wore those. I was asking for trouble. I was asking for trouble. I had those as well because my mum and dad wouldn't let me have trainers or cool shoes. Right. And when I was at school, everyone got to DM boots, and the more the more like lace holes you had, the cooler you were. Yeah, I wish I had the boots. Yeah, but my mum wouldn't let me have the boots, but she let me buy the shoes. The shoes. Yeah. You had DM shoes. I know. So it's like it's worse than not having DMs. Exactly. To be to be half well, literally halfway. These they're orthopedic shoes as well, aren't they? Dipped or mine. Oh, they just looked awful. Yeah, so I I fancied myself as a bit of a know-it-all, even though I wasn't an academic. I had an answer for everything, you know. And I was also a Back to the Future like maniac. I talk about it all the time. So I think that's where it came from. But I also remember kids calling me Browns as well, because we used to call cigarettes Browns, and I never used to have money to buy fags, so I'd always bum them. But when there was only like two drags left, did you ever say that? Can I get a twos? Did anyone ever see? Can I get a twos? Yeah, so you get like the last two drags, you know. Okay. I just wear the, the brown filter is. So people used to call me browns as well. So I, I guess it just came together. Yeah. And I, I, I picked that name when I went into battle rap, you know, as a teenager, because it just felt the natural thing to do. I hated going to rap nights and seeing people called like Shinobi the Destroyer. You know, I was like, <laughs> no one calls you that, bro. No one calls you that, you know? So I, I just thought, yeah, just be the name that, you know, that I got teased with and then flip it on them yeah well it's you know it's a cool it is a cool I mean and you're it's so hard to believe because you see my, I, I first met you probably in 2007 or something when maybe you were in come back I, I was sort of come back in the stand-up circuit mm. and you were starting up doing stand-up mm. and you always seem so cool oh, actually out of all the people that I, you know that, and those new breed of people that I worked with at that time you and Jack Whitehall I just think you two are just definitely going to be massive wow because well, you, you both had the look and you were both really confident and funny you had talent as well. I mean, not saying Jack. <laughs> you had, a, you had, a, you had a talent, which is cheating, of being able to, you know, rap and stuff. Yeah, I was often told that I, w- I was cheating, and I, I, I didn't really, know, <laughs> I didn't really know anything about stand-up before I did it. You know, I'd not, I'd not watched any of it. No. And I guess maybe the reason I came across as cool was because I didn't really see the enormity of what I was doing. I don't think I really respected the craft in 2007. I just. Uh, you know, I think the first time I got on stage and did stand-up was February 2008. But I was writing f- sort of silly songs at the end of 2007. Right. Again, I was working with Ben Walker, you know, yeah. at Radio 4, and that was my start, like, in Why comedy. Why are you giving him all the work? <laughs> I owe a lot of my career to that dude, man. Like, he did, he did a lot for me. And, um, I've, done, I've done a lot for him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just didn't... I totally, the perfect example is, is my first gig, right? Yeah. So I was, like I said, I was working with Ben and I was working with another uh, producer at Radio 4 called uh, Paul Schlesinger. Oh yeah, I know and, and he was one of the guys who said, I don't get you, like you write uh, gags for us, you write funny songs for us, you've been a performer and yet you don't do stand-up, you know? And I was just like, well, why am I gonna do that? Like, this, you know, I'm not a joke. And, uh, and he brought me down to this night and told me to go up and tell my story in like an entertaining way because it was yeah. an interesting story and that's what I did but there were no laughs and I didn't care. I just, it didn't mean anything to me. Yeah. I, like, I, I'd always watch comedy, always. But in the same way that anybody watches comedy, I watch sitcoms, you know. Yeah. I loved sitcoms from when I was a little kid. But the only stand-up I'd watched before I did stand-up was um, Eddie Murphy and Peter Kay. Right. <laughs> and that was because my mum my mum had a VHS of, of Peter Kay. Yeah. And she had um a, a Eddie Murphy gig from when he was like twenty one on, on record. You know the vinyl where he's got yeah, the little yeah. bone the little flower in his hair? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um and it's really raw, you know, it's nothing like 
raw or delirious. You know, it's really, really rugged. And that was all I had. Right. And I used to, rem like, memorise the Eddie Murphy bits and, and do them at school and stuff. But I, I had no inkling that there was thousands of you guys <laughs> doing this as a living and that, that it was a living. I had no yeah. idea. No idea at all. So it, to me, there was no weight. Or, I just always thought, someday, I'm going to have a number one rap record. It's going to happen. You yeah. know? And for the minute, you know... This Ben Walker guy is getting me money. It's good, you know. I'll do that for a bit and see see where it leads. But yeah. I never, I never thought it would lead on to, you know, doing proper gigs, tours, acting, all the things that it's led to for me. It's bonkers. But stand up is, that's the foundation, you know. But I think that's interesting to have come in it from a, a completely different direction because it's you know. But also it's it's interesting because it's the the circuit, certainly the circuit that we're on, is quite predominantly white I think isn't it yeah, big so time. so there, it, and there is a black circuit and there's, yep, a, there's yep, different I've done circuits that too. yeah so but it's so it, to like to come into it as a as a a, a black guy is to mm. you know is to you have to come in it from a different direction to make it work but i think what's interesting with with you is because obviously you your is your dad white and mm -hmm. your mum's black the weird way round yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, but you know, you're talking about that—that that it's that you know, you're as much white as you're black. Yeah. But no one would call you white. I saw you talking about this. In, yeah, in that, an that was a, that was a bit. But that's in, a that's in, a, in, in in a tour yeah. a couple of years ago. You know, like you know, when you hit that amazing spot. I mean, you would have hit it years and years ago. Um, <laughs> no, no, but you know what I'm saying. I'm, this is this is. This is this is a huge this is a huge compliment because some stand-ups never fucking hit this point, right? I see stand-ups ten years older than Richard who still haven't hit the point where they realise you should be writing about some shit that means something to you. Yeah. Not just thinking, oh, this is really funny. How do I get to that hilarious crescendo yeah. with a bunch of bullshit that never happened to you? <laughs> oh, it was crazy. I did the most crazy thing you've ever heard of. No, you didn't, bro. You're fucking boring. I know you. You know. <laughs> Whereas when I first saw you, I was like, fuck, this is it. This is it, you know? You were talking about real life issues and shit that was clearly important to you. And the passion made it even funnier, but it was about something as well, yeah. you know? And it took, it took me a long time to realize that, but as soon as I clocked it and it was that tour, I was like, fuck, I'm just gonna write, it doesn't, even if there's no jokes, I'm gonna write two pages on what the fuck I wanna talk about right now. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll find the funny in it. But almost that changed everything. But almost having like having a uh, a, a Peter K video and, and, and an Eddie Murphy left. record yeah. on vinyl. It's, but that almost sort of sums it up, doesn't it? You couldn't, you couldn't have a more black and a more white. Yes, I, never, I never thought about that. I never thought about that. Those That's together. true. That's what I'm gonna do. That's true. But because when you you know you're doing your rap, you just like to wear a cardigan in the rap. You were talking about this to Adam though, weren't you? Yeah. So that was but that was the way of getting that nerdy element of you as well as yeah, the cool element of yeah, you together. Yeah, but again, with, as with everything of, of, of my stand-up, it wasn't planned, you know. I wore cardigans because I genuinely thought they looked good, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and yeah, it just, it just hit me that, yeah. that, that one night, because I never had an opener, like I was saying to Adam, I never had an opener. Yeah. And then I just looked down at myself and how ridiculous it must have looked <laughs> trying to tell people that I rapped and now I'm wearing cardigans. And, and, and that was my first sort of, opener I stumbled across it yeah. and that was that was the nature of everything that I did in in those early years of stand-up but I guess like what you're saying about seeing me and thinking oh this guy seems like fully formed or whatever like you gotta understand February 2008 my first gig I was 30 years old with a child yeah 
My missus was pregnant. I had a mortgage. I was fucking broke. I was doing, I entered So You Think You're Funny, not to be on fucking television. It was five grand. I wanted that fucking five grand badly. When I lost, I was pissed. You know? Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, the most important things you got, you got this five. Fuck you, man. I wanted that five grand. <laughs> big time. That was a, it was a big final, though. Like, all, all the guys in that, like, household names now, yeah. man. Like, Josh Widdicombe. Yeah. Um, Sean Walsh. There were other people that didn't sound like they both had nasal problems. There was other people. There was, there was Sarah Pascoe. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I hear Shard, Daniel Sloss. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. like everybody in that went on to, 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 to big things. So, you know, I was obviously among good company, but on the night, I didn't give a shit. I wanted that five grand. <laughs> but again, that was, that's an unusual thing. I know like a lot of those younger comics are sort of so devoted to comedy and they don't have anything in their lives mm. of any of any importance so they can concentrate on them. Certainly for me, that was you know, that's what I sort of realised in my current stand up show is all through my twenties and thirties comedy was all that mattered and yeah. I didn't have anything at all to tie me down to anything else. Which is bad in a way. As I th- I mean, you know, I think having a family I mean, you weren't like young, young. You were like you were twenty-eight or whatever when you mm. had, had a baby. So it's not like ridiculously young, but it's mm. quite young for a, nowadays, and it's yeah. quite young for a comedian. And to have that responsibility, do you find that kind of grounded you and, and did make you concentrate more on the work? And, and yeah, game? I mean, like everything was important, Richard, yeah. at the time. You know, like everything had mega, mega weight. You know, I don't, I don't come from money. I didn't have anything to sort of rest back on. I didn't have like a, a sort of a, a, a fallback that I could go on. And it, you, you've got to look at it from my wife's point of view, man. Like, you know, we'd had this relationship that had been through its ups and downs. You know, I've been, I've been in rap. I've been traveling with, like, with bands and stuff. Yeah. I've been through all sorts of crazy shit, traveling, being away and stuff. We got pregnant and um, I was still doing the same dumb shit. And then, you know, I met Ben and we started doing this comedy stuff. And then I had to come home and say to my wife, you know, and this was at the same time after like two weeks of looking for a proper job, right? But like when, when I, I was about to go and do, um, uh, so you think you find the very first round, I was also looking for a job and I had an interview with um, uh, Kick It Out, you know, the anti-racism yeah. charity. So I was looking for like a proper, just a normal job. And my wife had been carrying me for, for years. So I wasn't making proper money from rap. You know, yeah. she and she was a teacher. So she was grafting <clears throat> and had a baby and carrying both of us. And I was like a stay-at-home dad, like just like a high dad, like you know. I found it easier to be around a baby sometimes, and just like wake and bake, you know. And you're on the same level as the baby. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you just kind of communicate and like you're on the same. It's dope. And um, and then so imagine you like, don't need drugs to be in that state. I can t- <laughs> imagine coming home and saying, babe. This is the plan. <laughs> I'm gonna enter a competition where I do dick jokes and I might win five grand. <laughs> it was just like just to see her face. But bless her, she 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 believed in me, man. Yeah. I don't know why, but she believed in me and she supported me through all of this. It's bonkers. And did you meet? Were you working as a you worked as a youth group worker? Yeah, that was my main job whilst I was doing rap. Because like I say, yeah. rap occasionally paid enough to live off and then like it would be nothing for ages yeah so my my main job was like a youth worker because my mum was a social worker and she used to do um like these sort of west london retreats so she'd take kids from troubled families and we'd go out to the countryside and i used to help but when i was a kid i'd just tag along yeah and then when i got to like 15 16 i'd start volunteering and helping out with the younger kids 
And then in my first proper summer, you know, when you need a summer job at that age, um, she was like, oh, we'll talk to Westminster Play Association because it'd be easy to get a job as a youth worker. You've already got volunteer experience. And it was. I did the interview. It was fine. Yeah. And um, so from there, I just that was what I did. And then at uni in the holidays, I'd do the same thing, youth work. Yeah. So as soon as I graduated, I just went back into it again, except I started my own like after school club. Okay. Um, and I started a little charity. Well, I didn't start a charity. I joined the charity. It was run by one woman for kids in my area, like in Wilsdon, Kilburn and that, who at the time were like, um, some of them were like unaccompanied minors from overseas, like asylum seeking kids and refugee yeah. kids. So it was, it, was for the, it was for that crowd there. And that was like a big eye opener. And I, I did all of that like alongside the, in the evenings trying to, trying to be a rap star. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was my main job. I'd do that like one or two days a week. So now you've stopped doing that, there's loads of refugee kids with nowhere to go because you're doing comedy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, a, I'm like a patron, of the, I'm a patron of the charity still. Um, but yeah, you know, like, I, I still do as much little bits and pieces as I can yeah. with young kids, young offenders and all this stuff. Like, I, like, my life could have gone a number of ways. That's the way I see it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I also think my, the way of, I've entertained people over the years has been based largely around rap, which is a street culture that I picked up from the street. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So it, it, it always feels a little bit, um, uh, I don't know, it feels there's something cold to me about just going, oh, no, I'm a star now. Do you know what I mean? Cool. Yeah, all that stuff is whatever. No, that, that made me. And the, the reason that I've got like any swagger or any game or anything, it comes from the street. It comes from like, a lot of the, the dudes that I, I, I grew up around Chill. that I was in awe of because they had so much confidence. It wasn't me. I stole it from them. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, of course. So to not, to sort of not acknowledge that or not be a yeah. part of it in any way, I just don't think I could do but that. But it's weird. It's, it's obviously very admirable and, uh, and it's the way things should be, but that's the, the country. I think the problem with our country at the moment is that people don't do that. That people become successful. Oh, man. I mean, certainly in business, and then they're forgetting... But you know, that it takes all those people to get you to this place and they're not, you know... It's a like big time. I think it's a scary time in history, though, yeah. you know, because, like, when, when, when we were kids, I think there was, like, these sort of... There was a def, There was such a difference between the working class, middle class, upper class and whatnot. And now, I say, like, the money I, I'm making now, like, if I was making it in even the early 90s, I'd be, I'd be loaded, do you know what I mean? I'd be, I'd be living the high life. But your money doesn't go as far as it did. So there's middle class people all over the country struggling, and obviously working class people still struggling like fuck. And, and what happens is people get very, very scared about life. So as soon as they make a little bit more than the next man, they're gone. They're yeah. gone. They don't want to bring anything to their community. I've, I've lived in London my entire life, right? And the way I've seen it change, like my street now, half the houses are like empty. They're just owned by pe faceless people that I never see. You know, and the, the people who used to live, they're sold up and they're gone, you know, straight away. And, and then, then there's all sorts of crazy foreign investment and stuff, mm. but nothing new is being brought to the community. People aren't that interested in community anymore. But community is what makes an area. It's what makes a city. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a weird time. Yeah, I think, you know, well, I think it is for lots of reasons, but it's, yeah, it is, that's... Uh... A lot of fear, do you yeah. know what I mean? No, well, definitely. It's, you know, it is, it's bizarre and... Yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to buy a house 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, I had a good job and got a nice house. But now I want to move. And you kind of realise you, can, you can't really... You can't go, move, bro. You can't move anywhere. You can't move. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> 2005, right? 
So I'm like doing youth work a couple of days a week and I'm rapping the rest of the time. My missus is carrying us on a teaching wage. And uh, you know, like I say, we get pregnant. We've got to, got to get a place. We're staying in a bed sit in Dalston. You know, it's horrible. Shared a wall with a pub called the Yucatan. I don't know if anyone knows Dawson. This place is fucking insane back then, right? It's a bit better now, but at the time it was just run by Irish gangsters. Had a fucking cage in the basement if you fucked up. You know, you get stuck down there. We shared a wall with these pricks, right? And um, in the alleyway outside our front window of the lounge, there'd be drug deals, prostitutes would come up there with their tricks and shit. It was disgusting. And my missus is about to drop. You know, we've got to get a place. We've yeah. got to get a place. So we hit, hit up a local estate agent and we were looking around places around Stoke Newton and Dalston. We looked at a couple places in Stokey and, you know, three bedroom, four bedroom places, houses, you know. And dude, dude would be like, yeah, so this is the place. I'm looking and be like, wow, it's amazing. How, what's the damage? He'd be like, this we could, we could do for 285 grand. I'd be like, dude, I'm not a fucking millionaire. 285 grand <laughs> yeah. for a four bedroom house. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes, <laughs> motherfuckers. Yes. Right? So, you know, we see this place and it's like ex-local authority. It's on an estate. I grew up on an estate, so I'm thinking, it's fine. I can do estate life. It's like 200 grand. You know, we get like, because my wife's a teacher, you get like a, a 50 grand uh, like grant from um, the Metropolitan Home Ownership. And we're in. And we just thought, yeah, we'll be here for a couple years and then we'll buy like another place bigger yeah. and the family will grow. And no, we're not going <laughs> fucking anywhere. We're there for life. We could sell that place now and buy like a, a garage or something like that and just all crowd in there with a candle, you know? <laughs> It is, I mean, should, you know, everyone should definitely, it's not in my interest to say this, everyone should revolt and th overthrow everyone who owns a house, because it's, it's, you know, you're never going to get back on it. It's nonsense. And, you know, you go to other countries, everyone just rents and they're happy. Yeah. Like, I, I, we've just got this, I don't know, an Englishman needs his castle or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And people say, hey, dude, you're on the housing ladder. Great. I'm on the bottom rung and I'm fucking staying there. You know what it's like to be famous and you live on a council estate, you don't know what the fuck that's like. Every day I come out of my flat and kids are like, dude, why do you live here? <laughs> the kids don't understand it. Why are you driving that? Dude, it's hard out here. They think you get on a British TV show and you're yeah. a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I'm not Jonathan Ross out here, you know? Not the same way. Well, you're you're on a lot of stuff, though. You are doing really well. I got to, man, because the yeah, pay is shit. Yeah. You've got to be on everything. But it's really amazing what, you know, the way you've, I mean, you've written a kid's book and you're writing another, you're writing another kid's book. You've got two kids. Books. It was like a two book deal yeah, yeah. with Walker, but two, let me tell you, the second book is tough. Right. Yeah, you have anything like a hit with the first one, they want the same thing. Yeah. Again, you want to do something different. They're like, yeah, it's not like this first one. And like, people don't want the same fucking book again. They want something <laughs> different. So it's, it's hard, but, um, I'm, it's one of the things I'm most proud of because, you know, when you, I mean, you know this, man. You do a great show and you think that was the greatest piece of stand-up I think I've done in my career. I, everything was perfect. But it's, it's like gone into the ether, you know? You didn't film it or whatever. Like, with the book, it just feels like a new generation of kids is going to enjoy it every year and it'll just be there long after I'm gone. And my kids going to have it, give it to their kids, whatever. 
yeah. it feels good. Yeah. It feels like a proper achievement. Yeah. You know? And I think kids will still, kids' books are probably the books that will survive because I think kids will still want to have books. Whereas Let's adult books so. might not exist as, because kids' books are, you know. Yeah, thing, I mean, I, I was at the Hay on Y Festival for the first time um, just a couple of weeks ago. And I, up until that point, I had been very much of the opinion, oh, books, they're, they're dead, you know, everyone's on the Kindle, there's bad deals for authors and all yeah. of that. But actually, hey, on wine, like, I was like, Jesus, like, the authors are like rock stars there, man. <laughs> and, and people are buying books by the boatload. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's all cycles, man. The Kindle did have a big uh, input into, like, it just broke right into the money that was going into, like, paper books but I think books are making a comeback just let's see look at vinyl vinyl's coming back as well I think you know these things come around people who are fans of art want it in their hands you know mm. uh, like you ever think sometimes like with the way the way people listen to music now and I'm including myself in this I'm not just talking about all oh, these bloody kids you know we buy albums like just straight off iTunes or whatever <laughs> I don't even know what the songs are called anymore. It's just like, oh, track four. Yeah, track four is a big one. I don't know what the names of the artists are. When I buy an album as a, as a, as a teenager, I would study everything. I wouldn't, like, I would read everything on the sleeve yeah. of the vinyl and, until the album was finished, you know? I'd, I'd know everything about it. I'd know what everybody looked like, you know? And I'd be desperate to go and see them. But I suppose the one, the one big positive, isn't it, in, in music is that Kids now are desperate to go to the shows to yeah. see these kind of enigmas, you know, <laughs> that made track four. And what do they look like? What do they look like? I need to see them, you know? Yeah. So live music is back in a big yeah. way as well, which is, is a positive thing, I suppose. Cool. And I mean, you're doing lo loads of that. I mean, it's a really interesting lot of acting you're doing because you're still doing lots of comedy stuff, but you're doing quite serious parts yeah. uh, and drama parts. Yeah. It's I mean, I, you know, I never imagined a, a life in, in comedy. You know, when I, when I was a really little kid, I, I wanted to, I wanted to act, and I was always in the school plays and stuff in, in primary school and even in, in secondary school for a bit. But then what happens is you fall in with a crowd of boys, and it hits three thirty, and they're like, "We're gonna buy an ounce, and then we're gonna see like Marvin. He's gonna get us some beer, and then my man's got the new Sega Mega Drive game. Blah blah blah. What are you doing?" Oh, I'm gonna like pretend to be a tree in like the drama <laughs> studio. You, like everything, you know, it just there's too much pressure on on a young man. So I just gave it up, and it's one of my biggest regrets because I think I would have I would have just got into it earlier and I would have had a lot more experience. But you know, that's the way it goes. So I always wanted to do dramatic acting. Yeah, yeah. And I I just thought it wasn't for people like me. So the fact that stand-up brought me into comic acting and then I was there, I was like, oh my God, this is it, I'm doing it, you know? And I think with comic acting, it's, it's way harder than dramatic acting. When you're around all the drama people, like I am most of the time these days, they, a lot of them think it's like, oh, that's dumbing down. Oh yeah, I'll just do a little comedy. No, bro. <laughs> comic acting is so hard because you're not even getting the laughs. You get the laugh the first time you do the line, but then you've got to do it like 12 more times. Yeah. Nothing's funny 12 times in a row, like repeated. So, um, unless you're Stuart Lee, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, it, for me, it feels like the most natural thing in the world, but I always keep one foot dipped in, in comedy because comedy is what made me and... Um, I just think it's a beautiful thing. Like I love the people in comedy, the people around it, 
And uh, I don't think I'll ever leave it alone. Also, I feel like stand-up's the one thing that I could maybe do forever. Like, yeah. acting all of a sudden. I mean, if you're a woman, fuck. Like, you hit 30 and you've got to play grandmas, you know? <laughs> if you're a man, you know, you've got a shelf life as well. And then there's the new guys. Yeah. And stand-up, like... Since I got into it and realized how many of us there are, all my favorite stand-ups are over 40. I, I, don't, I don't like any of the young ones. <laughs> they don't say shit to me, man. Like, I've got serious problems, you know what I'm saying? I want to see this reflected on stage. Well, I think, I think it's, well, again, similarly with Jack, with both of you. Hey, you know, you, you, know, can... like, you know, like, um, dude, man. Like, dude, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. come on. No, bro, no one knows what the fuck you're talking about, man. Go out and have some fucking life experience and come back. I think you need that. I mean, I think you clearly have some life experience already anyway, but it's, but it's you know, I think the older you get, the more, you know, it's a shame that I think a lot of stand-ups who could be amazing stand-ups are taken away and end up doing other stuff and then they don't come back to it. So I think yeah. it's, you know, it's, and I said this to Jack Whitehall as well, but I mean, Jack does come back and keep doing stand-up. Mm. And I think, you know, I think he, if, he, if he does stand-up, he'll be an incredible stand-up. Mm. Um, but he's doing so many other things and, for, and acting as well, but the same with you. But I think as long as you're drawn back into doing it and want to do it, then I think, you know... I think well, it's, it's the one thing that where you can... I mean, stand-up's important on so many levels. But like, if I say something on stage that I've written and 500 strangers laugh, to me, the, the most important thing is, 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 is not always that I'm happy that they found it funny. I'm happy that they got the idea. That, that spontaneous laugh means that that idea that I had has legs. It makes sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah. It's, 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 it's got meaning. It's got something that touches 500 strangers. So it, like, it must have some substance. And that fascinates me from a point of view of a creator, because maybe that could become something else. Maybe that could be, end up being my life's work, you know? <laughs> you, yeah. you just don't know, but that's the beauty of stand-up, and that's why I think I, I will always come back to it. It's just so hard to, to judge, because yeah. I do enjoy these other things so much. Well, you know, and and also, stand-up's fucking terrifying, <laughs> in a way that nothing else is. It is, right. and if, you know, if you're getting the work, as, I mean, as an actor, if you're getting the work, then you do. I've got to milk it for now, right? I got you. Because it's really hard. I mean, we, you've been working with Ricky Gervais, you're working with him again. I was watching the, um, that might be the first time some people saw you in comedy anyway, that you did the Equality Street yeah. song, which was for comic relief, was it? That's right, yeah. yeah. I, th I think it was, um, it was probably the first time I sort of, came into like a wider yeah. public consciousness with what I was trying to do comedically. Yeah. And, and yeah, I definitely got, got Ricky to thank for that. But it was, it was just a, a silly idea. We'd started talking because he'd invited me to come and open for him a year before, right. in 2012. That was the first time he just called my phone out of the blue. He got my number off a promoter and called me. He'd seen me on YouTube. You right. know? And he called me and asked me to open for him at some gigs he was doing. And, Scandinavia I went over there and opened for him and then you know we had a few beers and we chatted afterwards and he said I've got this idea for a TV show called Derek and he showed me this little okay. trailer thing he'd recorded just himself he hadn't shown it to anybody you know and he was like this is the character and I, I just want to crowbar you into an episode like when we get back to London come round and we'll, we'll go through some ideas you know I was like wow okay uh, so the next thing I knew we were like in his office at his house just like throwing ideas out there about a character who could walk into this old people's home, you know? Right. And um, that's where the whole kind of odd couple thing started, really. Because when we, on, in our downtime, he'd get the guitar, you know? Because <laughs> we're both failed musicians, right? So we had a lot to, to talk about in that respect. And we'd literally sit around and he'd strum the guitar and I'd freestyle rap and he'd sing some stupid shit and we'd just try and make each other laugh. Yeah. And we actually wrote about seven or eight songs together. Right. 
and, and one of them was Equality Street, and it just made us laugh so hard. <laughs> and uh, he was like, "This we we got to do this. We got to do it as I'll do it as Brent, you know." Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, but for what?" <laughs> and he just thought, you know, comic relief. If it's shit, like if it's not funny at all, people have to go, yeah, but it's for a really good cause. So. <laughs> you know, fair play. And well, we did it, and people yeah. loved it. So. Well, why are we like watching it again? Which I don't know if I picked up on the first time. It's been a while since I saw it the first time. It was obviously David Brent's being his usual, attempting to be right yeah. on, but fucking everything up. Yeah. But your character as well is the same in the other direction, right? What I love yeah, about totally. it is that he's he's all upset with David Brent, and oh no, but then then he gets into his own. Yeah, yeah, because people are like, oh, in you're so cool in yeah. it. And I'm like, dude, are you not listening to what the lyrics are? His first lyric is, I'm like John Lennon, except I do imagine there's a heaven. That's his first, that's his opening gambit. I'm like John Lennon, but way better, right? So, and that, that was a lot, a lot of that was Ricky's idea. He was yeah. like, you've got to be like, you know, sort of nice but dim. Yeah, that, yeah. Like that's your character. Like yeah. just you think you're amazing, but you're actually a bit. But you're sort of throwing away and the, throwing away the the, the the gay stuff as well. There's, you know, he's, you're really kind of trying to distance yeah, yourself. Yeah. From like the gay you know, stuff. I, I knew so many rappers that were homophobic. So I was like, I'm gonna play it real, like an, a stupid rapper, because I'm my stupid rappers. Are my inspiration. I, yeah. I love, I love dumb rappers. They're my favourite thing ever. And so you're in the film. Life on the Road, which yeah. is not out as we speak. I couldn't believe it when he said, we're going to make a movie out of this. I was like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you're out of your mind. You know, like he's the king of burying like a perfect thing, you know? The Office, Extras, Derek, whether you like, like these things or loathe them, you've got to say, in fact, even if you loathe them, even more so, two series, done, you know? Some people take shit way too far, man. And with comedy, that's a dangerous game to play. So I was very, very surprised. But, you know, he had some good ideas. He wanted me to be a part of it from the ground up, from a blank piece of paper up. And he brought in Tom Basden as well to help out. And if any of you know Tom Basden, if you're you know, big comedy fans, you should know he's one of the best writers we've got in this country, man. I think he's so underrated. Um, so, you know, we had a good little trio there working the thing up and um geez i just hope people like it i mean i, I don't know it's it's, it's 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 on ricky obviously i'm gonna say that now get my excuses <laughs> <in play. laughs> it's, it's it's ricky's movie but um yeah you know the the world is full of harsh critics now yeah so you know maybe maybe i'll, I'll be flavor of the month this month and the film will come out and everyone will hate me. I don't know. Oh, well, you know, I don't, either way, I think, I think Ricky will probably get the plaudits and the brickbats either yeah. way around. But it, I mean, it, it is, it is so, uh, it's so difficult because people are going to be uh, ready. You know, it's, it's it, like you say, it's such a, it's a risk to bring it back. But also, I feel, what, well, Steve Coogan bringing back Partridge, I think, has been a masterstroke. I think the stuff, yeah. the stuff he's done... I think Steve's opened it out as well to, yeah. like, super fans of the sort of Partridge world if you like you know he's got those two i mean loads of you must have read the book right the partridge book or like if you've read it and you haven't listened to the audio you did it the wrong way around because the audio is fucking amazing but um i noticed when i was listening to it that there was like two other guys that had helped not just amando but two other guys that had helped right and they they're like super fans of partridge so they understand like a lot of us the partridge world and wouldn't it be funny if partridge did this and i guess steve had enough humility to be able to say let's open it out to these guys and, and I think that's probably helped freshen it up as well obviously Steve is amazing he's going to do it anyway but I think that was a master stroke definitely getting like some fresh blood in there mm. with, with Patrick Barber 
Patrick as well is a fucking legend, man. Was he? I don't think he was involved in the. Um, Okay. It's just that is Patrick Marble. Is that, right is, that is Patrick yeah. Marble. He's right. like he's like Hodor. Uh, Patrick Marble. <laughs> Patrick Marble actually wrote the uh, or was on board to write the uh, the original screenplay for uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Now there's a fact that a lot of you won't know. And, and then uh, what's her face? E.L. James was like, "Who's this prick? You know, right. I can do this. I can boss this." And how how right how right she was. <laughs> Patrick Marble's a great playwright, man. Brilliant. He's a nice man. I saw it. We had a bit of a thing. Uh, uh, we had a bit of a thing, but uh, only over like 20 or so years. And I, uh, <laughs> I saw him. Well, I didn't think he would take any of it seriously, but he was quite hurt by it. I saw him recently and... Oh, really? I, mean, I don't know why I should apologise to him, but I, yeah. I did. <laughs> okay. I'll ask, yeah, let's get out of this Patrick yeah, Marber unpleasantness and I'll ask you some emergency questions. I have emergency questions. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got some I've written myself and some I've got off the internet. Uh, so, uh, if you had, would you rather date a woman who was a six foot tall vulva, and that's all she was? <laughs> Volvo, a vul Volvo. vulva, like a vagina is. Oh, right. Is, a, a vagina is the way to understand it, but that's right, not the okay. correct term. Or a woman who, instead of having the vaginal area, has instead there another woman. What, a little tiny woman? Oh, yeah, a tiny woman's in there, but she's internally inside. So you have to find her. Well, you just have to open some curtains and she'll be there. Right. Uh, which of those would you rather date? The uh, You can ask subsidiary questions. The... Uh, the, uh, in the, when I asked this in the first week, um, she doesn't have arms, but what she would have is like some well, the false... Big the big vagina. The big vagina's on but she has like false arms to give her the appearance of being more like yeah, a real just, human being. I just think the big vagina would be more gross. Yeah. I, I, I love vagina. Let's not that get that twisted. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I absolutely love it. I yeah. adore it. Um, Wouldn't you like to be able like to get, a six get inside foot one, one? To, like, to stand inside? I think it would be creepy. <laughs> that said, it would also be creepy to insert my penis into this little crevice that you're talking about, yeah. this curtain crevice, this and then have two tiny hands jerk me off. That would be fucking creepy as well. That would be creepy, but I think yeah. I could normalise it. Okay. More than the big vagina. We're only talking about dating, but it's interesting you jump straight in, then straight in. Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot yeah. that bit. You've right. assumed the date has gone very well. <laughs> I, I put out, man, I what can I, can I tell you? What is, this is a new one, what's the most expensive thing you've bought that you have never or rarely used? Oh God, that's such an embarrassing <laughs> question because I've definitely done that a few times. I've, I keep doing it with all sorts of... Um, uh, the most expensive. Oh, I just bought two tickets to Istanbul. Oh, yeah. And then pussied out when some dude got killed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Was, you know, there was like stories of terrorism and stuff yeah. like that. And now I'm just not going. Right. And I called up and I was like, hey, like I, I booked insurance and stuff when I bought the tickets. Um, but now, like, I don't want to go. And they, they said, why? And I said, well, you know, dude got killed and, you know, there's terrorism and stuff. And they were like, yeah, that don't wash with us. <laughs> so all my money's gone. Oh, I think man. that's probably the most recent waste, yeah. waste of a grand. You can't go Hotel anywhere. If that's the same. Paid for parking in advance, like like, yeah. a, like like a proper dad. Like I paid for parking. 
Yeah, so that one still hurts a little bit because the date's actually coming up when I should be in yeah. Istanbul. You should go, you can still go. It's going to be fine. No, no, I, I cancelled it, man. I just had to, I had to sort of wipe it from the memory. And the most annoying thing is like, hey, they're really positive. They're like, hey, you can get, um, you know, you can get the, uh, the surcharge back or whatever it is, which is like 50p. You yeah. know? <laughs> but the grand's gone. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. Gun. If it's going to be fine as well, right? Istanbul is going to be fine. Everywhere's yeah? fine. Everywhere's would, fine. Would everybody go Istanbul if I gave you a ticket now? See, I feel like such a prick now. Yeah. I think the thing is, everywhere is dangerous now. It's, you know, it's, the, so the, the crazy thing is, London's dangerous. Yeah, now. Like, yeah. London's a target. Yeah. You know, but because I live here, I'm like, what? Bring a terrorist round. <laughs> Bring him round. <laughs> Well, ho Wilston. hopefully if we, if we voted Brexit, which we don't know at the point of recording, we'll be fine from terrorists, apparently. So that is fine, because ISIS are all waiting to go, I can't wait. We'll just wait and see if Britain is in or out of the European Union. And if it's, if it's in the European Union, we'll go and bomb it. But if it's out, Dude, I'm that so is it. bored we'll... with that EU shit. Like, everybody who keeps barking at me, we got to leave, we got to stay. They're all just, like, they're barking up the wrong tree, frankly, because both their arguments, I'm just like... Dude, neither of these things interest me. Like, and I know it's important. I'm sure it is, but like, there was a we spent a long time, like, where the EU wasn't even a thing, right? And now it's a thing, and now we can't leave the thing. Uh, but if you do leave the thing, it's going to be dangerous. No, if you stay, it's going to be dangerous. Everybody's like, I just want someone to give me an argument where it's like, this is going to happen, and your, you know, your child will get rabies. Definitely, like guaranteed. Like I want, an, I want some guarantees. These motherfuckers telling me, oh, this is gonna happen to the economy. How the fuck do you know? We, we had a massive crash into, where were you? The genius with what's gonna happen in the economy in 2007, where were you? Now you're chiming up, you know? I just, I don't trust either side. No, they've done very, they've all done very badly. I've never been on the fence with a political decision, Rich, right. ever. It's, it's difficult. I've always known exactly what I'm doing. I was raised by some GLC, kick Maggie in the pussy motherfuckers, you know? I was raised left as you like. Like, my flat was crazy. We were like hiding like Irish dudes who people thought were terrorists, but they weren't. They were just like drunk weed smokers who hung out with the Jamaicans. You know, my flat was nuts. In the 70s, the 80s, you know, it was the place to go. It was red as you like, you yeah. know? So it, my, my decisions have always been straightforward. When I bought that flat that I told you about, who was my MP? Corbyn. Ah. This dude was round my door telling me like, there's some shit going down, you, want, you, you might be interested. You know, I was like, I like the way this dude talks. And we, 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 we chat at the door. Yeah. And he was a cool guy, you know? And everything for me has been so crystal clear. And now I don't know what's going on. And you know who started this shit? Blair, <laughs> he started the shit because I was like, dude, what are you doing? That's not, no, 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 no. Why'd you keep moving it there? Why'd you keep moving it there? It's supposed to be over here. He keeps pushing it there, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it there. And now they're all the fucking same. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Um, well, no, I mean, uh, beyond, I think it's just what you feel. I'm thinking you know, Hawaii. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think you know, but there's there's no there is no cogent argument, and that's what I think the I think the stay the stay as in Europe people are mm. really fucked up because I think there are probably proper arguments about that, but they've got dragged into yeah, the they got dragged into they got dragged the, into the stupid lie. Level. The other side is definitely lying. I mean, I think Cameron is full of shit as well about this, <laughs> but guy, there yeah. there must be a way through. But I think it's just whether you feel that you hate immigrants 
or <laughs> or if you feel that there's a there's a positive you know I, my feeling about it is that we should look forwards in the world and move forwards and maybe being united is a good thing but it's only a feeling in the same way as yeah. the other person's thinking yeah, I don't like immigrants coming over and taking my job which you know is totally. equally as my, my, or my feeling is like one world you know one race so therefore like why shut yourself off then the other time I'm like yeah well you know like well, there's, there's some interesting things about leaving and then I see that frog face motherfucker like Faraj <laughs> and you know Osborne I'm like I can't I can't make a decision that they're making I just can't do it so like I'm stuck I'm yeah. stuck well we'll see we'll know by the time this comes out people yeah. listening to this will be living either in a, a paradise or a dystopia one way or the other yeah. of yeah. their own making I'm it, sure that wasn't one of your proper questions anyway. we should probably move on from that. it's, it's alright it's okay it's okay we can talk about anything you like uh, if you had to jump this is a question from lifehacks.io if you had to jump into a pool of something what would it be? from what height? <laughs> I, uh, you will have to, we'll have to email life hacks and ask them. I'm imagining from some I think you probably off a diving board I think yeah. we're going I'd go for marshmallows man yeah I love the feel of them yeah I, 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 I used to dream about being able to pull endless ones from my pocket when I was, right. a, when I was a little little I'm fat I'm glad kid. it was your pocket yeah <laughs> I love them toasted yeah they're nice uh, they just they do it for me marshmallows yeah. yeah so I think I'd go for marshmallows man but would you be d d scared of drowning in the marshmallows if you like you dive in and then you go oh we start eating them and then you're under loads of marshmallows that'd be a horrific way to die wouldn't it yeah like, well, you, you're, you like you're enjoying it for a while and then <laughs> not like this <laughs> well it must be if you drown in something you know if you drown in beer there must be a moment where the beer go ooh yeah, you get a little. It's pretty good. High. Oh, and they quite quickly. Oh no, this isn't that good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you drown in lots of cocaine. Yeah, I, I can't swim. You know, no. so I mean, I've I've just learned a couple strokes Have for you? the first time in my life. So. Okay. Definitely not beer. You can't swim through marshmallows. I don't think anyone can. No, no, no. But I just, I just, I just fancy my chances more in a deep pool of marshmallows than It'd a deep nice. pool of beer. Be nice. It'd be an interesting experience. You know, I don't think anyone else will give that answer. And I'm going to ask everyone. I like to think that you'd actually make the sound flump when you hit it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a question from Ali's Rand. D D oh, Ali's. Oh yeah, Ali's Randomage. That's why I got it right last time. Have you ever flown a kite? Yes. Have and you? Weirdly, it yeah. was. The first time ever. I don't right. know why my parents restricted me from kite flying, but I never flew one as a kid. It's dangerous um, around all the But I flew tracks. one on Brighton Beach last Did summer. Yeah. Yeah, last year. It was, was very it? enjoyable. What kind of kite was it? Uh, I don't know, some, some cheap one one of my kids got for Christmas. Yeah. And um, they get bugging me to fly it. And I was like, no, it's not windy enough. It probably was. I just couldn't be asked to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> but we took it down to Brighton last summer. And I did it. And it's... It's really, really enjoyable, except yeah. I'm so shit, I nearly decapitated a couple people right. that were like sat low down. One of them was like a topless Swedish family. Right. It's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> there was a really weird sight seeing like a, you know, woman in her mid 40s and her sort of like late teens, right. maybe early 20s daughter. Yeah. I think you're topless. on a nudist beach, I think that's Brighton Beach, bro, yeah. on those rocks. I wouldn't put my naked butt on those rocks. <laughs> <laughs> this is another question from Ali's random run randomage. Okay. Have you ever demolished a wall or a building? <laughs> Which is, you know, quite a leap between those two things. 
Have um, you ever demolished anything? I've definitely done both, but this, this, the second one is probably uh, it's more debatable. All right. The first, the first one, I, I definitely demolished the wall with my mates when I was about 15, when we just like roam around, like hurting things. You yeah. Know? Never people. We weren't that kind of group, but like we'd smash things up yeah, all yeah. the time. Um, but uh, I got a, a role in a, a thriller in 2010 or 11. It's this HBO thing called Hunted. Okay. No one watched it, but I was like a hitman in it. I killed lo loads of people, and there was one scene where I blew up an entire building, wow. killed 200 people, and it like just the way it collapsed was amazing. Wow. But technically, I don't think you could argue that that was me. I think I think we can. Did you really kill 200 people? <laughs> <laughs> I just did it at the wrong moment. The crew were all in having the dinner. Uh, <laughs> that was a good. They good questions, aren't they? I think there was. I thought that'd be a bad question. I did. We, me, and my friends used to go to Shipham Wood, and there was like an old. You know, abandoned house there. And we yeah, just, just smashed the fuck. Throw up, rocks yeah. at it. It was so brilliant. Just, it was just generally the best. Did you throw girls rocks do that? Did girls do that? just fell apart. It was just when you're like 15, did you just smash it up? You don't, do you? Yes. Oh, some of you. That do. lady didn't, but everyone else did. Okay, yeah, good. Go and do it. Go and do it. Fine. Like, don't knock down someone's nice I, house. But I have, I have two daughters, house. and I have noticed that whenever they build a sandcastle on a beach, some boy always comes along and just boots it over and goes, yeah! Like that. <laughs> I started to wonder if it was like a gender thing. Yeah. I don't think well, my like daughter... girls build and boys destroy. Well, I've been... Well, I, my, obviously, kids love sand, don't they? So I'm in the sand all the time. Every time we go to sand, and uh, I've been making sandcastles, and every time I make a sandcastle, my daughter comes over and just stamps on them straight away. Oh, nice. So she does that. And then, okay, cool. but then the other day, I was in a sandpit in... Um, in Hammersmith, and uh, I was building loads of sandcastles. I was trying to make loads before she'd come back and destroy them. And then I was just sitting in a sandpit making sandcastles, and I looked around. My daughter had fucked off and gone somewhere else. <laughs> so I was a 48-year-old man, just on his own, really quickly building loads of sandcastles. I love that. <laughs> I you really get committed into it, to it. Yeah, yeah, because like I was really going to... Get the sweaty you, back yeah. and everything. <laughs> and in my mind, I was thinking, we're, you know, we're all the villagers in these sandcastles, and we're... <laughs> waiting for the monster to return to destroy them. But at the moment, she's only little, so she might she might become. Less. You got one. You got one. Yeah, just one. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna have more. You reckon? I hope so. Yeah. It's kind you don't of... want to own each other. They're no. bricks. <laughs> they, I think they can be. Omnipotent yeah. pricks. I'm telling you. Yeah. Definitely. They'll end up being. Movie I'm just directors. trying to think. Who I know is an only child? Oh, Stuart Lee. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's. Uh... <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Let me just let me jump back and see whether there's. Uh, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Uh, we, we haven't done our backstage interview yet. We have to remember to do that because because oh, cool. uh, yeah, it's, well, that's for a secret thing. All right. Um, so yeah, we'll quickly talk about your sister. I've thought about not talking about your sister, but we'll yeah. quickly talk about your sister because that's that's kind of amazing that from your family you've produced two very creative people. Your sister Zadie Smith, mm. who uh, wrote White Teeth mm -hmm. and uh, several other novels. Um, and so, do you think that's do you think that's from your upbringing, or do you think it's just? Yeah, it's, I, I, you know what? It fascinates me, and that, that's what I like. People always like piss, pussyfooting around asking me about it, but like, I, I love to talk about it because I'm trying to work it out myself. Mm. How it's how it's possible? I'm not saying like, oh my god, two amazing people. I don't mean that at all. Like my sister is definitely an amazing person, but like, there's five kids. I've got a half brother, a half sister. And I've got a younger brother as well. Um, and all five of us are artists. Like right. none of, not one of us has ever considered doing like, oh, like I'm gonna do like, I'm gonna work in Tesco or I'm gonna <laughs> be an engineer or I'm gonna do some shit that actually 
could help, like, you know? <laughs> it was my sister's 40th last year and there was a bunch of videos made for her by her friends. And one of them, the friend said, uh, you're the most useless person that I'd take into the apocalypse with me. And I thought that, that really describes an artist, you know, yeah. like, we're fucking useless, but like, we, you know, we, we, we can entertain, I suppose, and that's about it. But anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're all artists, you know, my, my, my eldest half-brother who is, Jesus, 65? Right. Maybe, 66. He's a musician. Um, my half-sister is uh, a, an art teacher and a, and a painter herself. Yeah. You know, my, my sister's Zadie, obviously, an author. My younger brother is a musician. Um, and I, I think about it all the time. I look at my parents and I think, what, what, what was it? Yeah. Neither of them were artists. Neither of them even finished school. I mean, my dad dropped out of school at, like, what, 12, 13? My mum dropped out about 16, maybe? And their experiences were incredibly tough you know my, my dad dropped out of school you know uh the war was on second world war yeah and he was you know picking up shrapnel for a living you know clearing up shrapnel from in front of the shops and stuff like yeah. that and then when it got to like 44 he enlisted as a, as a teenager and then he was fighting people killing men you know and uh like that's bonkers to me and my and my mom you know growing up i seen where she was born i went and visited in, in 2012 the shack she was born in, in in Dalton, a tiny village in St. Elizabeth on the south coast of Jamaica. And for these two motherfuckers to meet, I mean, I just, it's just, it blows your mind, right? And then, you know, you grow up, working class, council estate, the whole nine, you know, you think, where does it come from? But looking back, all I can say to you, Rich, is like, it's like I was saying, you know, the flat was, it was an interesting place yeah, to yeah, be. There was lots of crazy stuff going on. There were debates and um, questions being asked and arguments being had and music being played that felt important. You could sense it even as a little kid. Yeah. And then you'd go out on the street and you'd see the fucking National Front marching and the, the Nation of Islam, the black separatists marching and stuff. And you think, oh, fuck both these pricks, you know? Yeah. We, we were a mixed race family. We have white people and black people in our house, Irish people, Jamaican people, all day long, you know? we would talking, we were conversing, we were hearing stuff, we were seeing crazy stuff. And all I can say is that what else would we have become other than storytellers, you know, in some way, shape or form? Mm. And, you know, my brothers tell stories through their songs, my, my, my eldest sister tells stories through her paintings, my older sister tells literal stories, yeah. you know, and, 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 and I fucking just blabber on all the time. You know? so, <laughs> it's just, it's in our bones. That's all yeah. I can think. It's not from academia or... But you know, it's like, if I hadn't, you know, if, I, if I'd had made an assumption and I got, oh, I, you know, I expect this family was very privileged, you know, if I hadn't read the books, if I just knew sure. you, were, you were a rapper and she was a writer, it's kind of, a, you know, you've come out of a, a regular comprehensive school. There can't Big be time, many yeah. people who thought, oh, I'm going to be a novelist or I'm going to be a, a it's rapper. Another, it's or another reason I'd love to, even though he's probably bordering on old age, I'd love to kick Tony Blair in the nuts because <laughs> we went to university for free, yeah. you know, because if you're, on a, 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 if you're from a low-income family or whatever, Everything just got paid for by your council. Yeah. So Brink Council paid for Zadie to go to Cambridge, bro. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? To King's. To King's College, Cambridge. Yeah. You know, they pay for me to go to Norwich. You know, <laughs> these are amazing things. These are amazing things. Come on, guys. 
UEA, fantastic place. Um, <laughs> My wife went there as well. So. <laughs> uh, you know, it, no, but it's incredible. You know, you, you, the only reason I came out with any debt was because I was greedy. I wanted to get a loan because I wanted to go to New York and buy records and trainers, you know, yeah. and impress girls. Like, that was the only reason I had any debt. And, and that's how it should be for everybody. Education should be free from start to finish. I mean, everybody knows that, but we're being cheated out of it. And um, that's why it's going to be harder and harder to find more Zadie Smiths. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I think we had a little bit of luck, a lot of determination, and a lot to say. And I yeah. think you combine those things and uh, it, it, they can go a long way, you know? Yeah, no, so, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think that that's talking to lots and lots of people in this podcast and trying to work out for everyone what makes people successful because mm. it's uh, you know and I think there, there, there is always luck in there but all the people who are successful have this determination and this sort of passion with it and aren't going to be stopped by anything whether it's mm. being poor or also where they there's come a from. fear of like you what else would you do yeah. do you know what I mean like yeah. a lot of us we really struggle in in normal tasks yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying like we just yeah. be shit yeah please don't make me build a house I just can't <laughs> I can't do it let me just pay let me I'll, I'll tap dance let me I'll tap dance for for this guy to build a kitchen for me you know anything I can do yeah you know um so I think a lot of us yeah what else could we do <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it's very interesting and I think well, you know I think also what you're just saying there as well which again I hadn't really considered for us thinking about you it's just like you're getting racism from both sides right oh, that's, that was nuts up. i mean if anybody here grew up in a major city in the uk in in the late 70s early 80s then you will know this to be fact if you're from bristol if you're from manchester if you're from cardiff if you're from london you know liverpool then you'll remember a time when shit was nuts like that it was crazy like people yeah. looked at half cast and for those listening to this I'm doing the inverted <laughs> commas with my fingers because that is not how you describe a human being that's how you describe a mixture of Dulux paints um, you know they'd look at us as accidents you know normal people who weren't you know you wouldn't consider them racist or whatever then you had these fucking idiots like the Combat 18 and the National Front who were like go home I'm like dude I was born in Wilston like where am I going where do you want me to go like you know and then you had these black separatists who were like, we're all going back to Africa, you know? Even though no one even knew where Africa was, right? <laughs> so then the NF and, like, and the black separatists, they'd be like, yeah, dude, you've got a lot of salient points. You've got, you've got a lot, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling this guy. This is, this is. So it was just, it was very scary, you know, yeah. to, to be a mixed family because we represented everything that those two extremists hated and feared, you know? This sort of miscegenation, this mixture this, this mongrelization of what they both saw as, as pure. Yeah. Whereas we just thought we represented equality, you know? Yeah. But what the fuck did we know? And do you fear that, that we could go back into that direction? I mean, that's what- I think that's where we're going right yeah, now, yeah. bro. Yeah. And it scares the shit out of me, you know? The way, the way we, we, we're becoming suspicious of every Muslim. It's like a flashback to Thatcher's Britain, bro. Yeah. You know? I mean, I read an, I read an article and I've re I don't know why I do this. I'm sure you do the same thing. You know, someone like Emma Kennedy will post some shit <laughs> on Twitter and say, look at this shit. And you're like, I read it and it ruins your day because it's some idiot. It was one of those kind of things. It was an article in the Daily Mail about why we should be scared to take Ubers because the majority of them are driven by Muslims. And because it's Ramadan, they're going to be too weak to control machinery. <laughs> And I read this last Tuesday, and I, you know, 
thank God it was laugh out loud hilarious because I would have been <laughs> furious, you know. But by chance, you know, I was doing a, 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 another little interview um, in, uh, in Kensal Rise and I was late for this next appointment and I, I, I called an Uber and it was this, this Muslim guy, <laughs> Mohammed. Like as soon as I saw the name pop up on my phone, like I jumped in, I was like, how's it going, bro? Fasting, and he was like, yeah, man, it's such a ball ache, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, dude, it was a really sunny day, right? Yeah. I was like, dude, it's so sunny, like, what, like? He goes, 9.02 p.m. Like, before I said anything, it was 9.02 p.m., bro. Like, I can't tell you how much I'm waiting for that time. And he was just such a cool, funny, intelligent yeah. guy. And I was just like, for fuck's sake, man. Like, if only, like, everyone from the Daily Mail could just sit in the back of this cab and listen to Mohammed speak. This is a dude who was born and bred in London. You know, he, he, was, ta he was talking so eloquently about why he fasts, you know, because we were both laughing about how hungry he was, but he was saying at the same time, you know, dude, it, it's just, it's, a, it's such a reminder for me of how lucky I am to be born here, to always have access to, to food, to whatever I want, you know, I can, I can live life however I want, it's just a beautiful thing, I can speak my mind, and whenever I fast, I just, I just remember, shit, there's some kid somewhere who, even if he wanted what, what, I, what I'm eating, he, he can't get to it. He can't get to it. And it just, it, it keeps, keeps me humble and it keeps me focused. And I was like, fucking hell, man. This is the majority of Muslims, bro. Yeah. There's like two nutters, you know, and, and, and like a, a thousand like cool guys. And it just bugs me, I don't know, man. Like if a white person, white English person blows some shit up, people are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're a nutter, look him up, he's evil. But no one goes, hey, white people, why don't you apologize for this guy? Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? I don't even know him. Who is he? <laughs> and I just can't understand how we can't apply that to everybody else. So yeah, I think it's, a, as we said earlier in, in the pod, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a scary time where we're letting fear control us. And fear, like feeling scared, it makes you angry. You get angry that you're scared, you know? That's why like, if a cyclist rides out in front of me, my car, like a dick or jumps a red light, yeah. you know, I fucking, I lose my shit with him and then he loses his shit with me and we're screaming at each other. And it's, it's not because we hate each other, really. It's because we're both scared that one of us might have died just now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we're terrified and we're furious at the other guy for bringing us so close to this ultimate fear, mm. you know? So fear, it creates loathing and then we're all fucking looking at each other suspiciously. And on top of that, we got these money worries, everybody's struggling. The city that I was born and bred in, the city that created some of the most incredible culture in the world, birthed some of the most interesting people, created a, a, a vision of multiculturalism that made me feel safe and loved, is now like a millionaire's fucking playground full of like pricks, you know? <laughs> and, and, and my friends can't afford to live here. And, uh, you know, I just think all of these things are coming together. Yeah. And we just need one more hot summer and it's all going to kick off again like it did in 2011, you know? Yeah. It, I, it's really scary. And it's a scary time to be a parent as well in that respect because yeah. you just don't know what the future holds. No, it's true. It's, yeah, I mean... It, well, Love's the only thing, bro. It's the only <laughs> currency that can get us through. And I know I'm not trying to sound like Russell Brand because I don't want to sound like Russell Brand. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? 
I don't like, know, that's all I can think of that can work. And I think, but also the, the mathematics and the statistics of it, if you really think about it, the chances of anything happening, even with, you know, this minority of people, mm. there is a tiny minority of people who want to kill people yeah, on yeah, both yeah. sides, you know. I mean, you sit, I mean, the minute you look at that, what happened in America this weekend, and, mm. the, you know... Horrific. The, but the people on both sides, you know, there's people on both sides, there's people delighted about it because they, oh, they think... Gay people yeah, are, you know, deserve to die, and they're Christian, supposedly, yeah. or whatever. And you know, and so it's both sides of craziness. Yeah, yeah. But I just think it's such, there's still such a tiny amount of people, and that's what you say with the Daily Mail, all that thing with Muslims. You go, mm. fuck if every Muslim, you know, I got into a Twitter argument <laughs> with it, and they said it's something like sixty percent of Muslims agree with oh, terrorism and it would Christ. carry out terrorism. You go, that's not true because if even if like. 1% of Muslims wanted to carry out terrorism, we'd, there'd be something every day exactly. in every street there all the time. Of Muslims. <laughs> because there are billions of fucking <laughs> Muslims joke, in the man. world. It's a joke, And so any logic tells you straight away that it's nothing to do with... But it's know. much easier to get people's votes, to get people to follow you, to get people to listen to you if you scare them first, yeah, if you shake them up first. How you know? terrifying is it that that's... That, you know, well, Trump's doing it blatantly that... That Gove and, and Trump don't uh, give a shit, bro. Johnson He's going old school with it. Yeah, but like, you know, but it's it's just it is. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to start comparing people to Hitler, but it's exactly the same. <laughs> it is. It is. That's bro. what Hitler did. And the minute you think, hey, I'm doing something a bit similar to what Hitler did to get into power, surely you go, oh, maybe I should pull back a yeah, bit. Yeah, rein it in just a touch. <laughs> Dial it down, bro. Dial it down. So you know, when you know, and they're intelligent people, and they know what they're doing, and they know that they're they're making fear mm. and, they're, and they're, they're appealing to that lowest mm. common denominator and turning ignorance into being yeah. strength you know that's what, it's, it's what they're saying it's, it's bad being intelligent is what they're saying it's good, yeah. It's, yeah. good it's good to be ignorant and believe totally, this man. bullshit stuff keep playing Candy Crush you ignorant <laughs> motherfuckers oh man hopefully we'll be alright uh, <laughs> oh it'll probably be alright uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's pick it up. Let's, let's pick, let's up pick on so You're doing. Uh, uh, how are you enjoying Peter Ackroyd's London? Are you still reading that book? Dude, I'll be reading that book until I die. That's it's like, great. A, it's it's like great. 1100 pages long. Yeah. No, no, I, I did finish it a while okay. back, but I'd like to read it again at some stage, maybe when I'm retired, because it is <laughs> such hard work. But Peter Ackroyd's London, for people who don't know, is, is it's a biography of London written by the historian Peter Ackroyd. And it. Um, it sort of treats London as like a, breathe, a living, breathing being, basically. And uh, it's, it sounds wanky, and it, it really is. Well, it is in parts, but uh, <laughs> no, it's, if you walk around with that book and an A to Z around the city, you'll fall in love with the city again, you know? It's, it, it, it's, it's something else, and uh, uh, yeah, it's a huge inspiration to me, that yeah. book. In a lot of ways. Yeah, I read it a few years ago, and then I, I was on holiday. And it was such a big book; it was hard. I was no, like on a disgusting. long holiday. But I, when I got halfway through, I ripped it in half and gave the first half to someone that else. That makes sense. <laughs> that actually makes sense. And then, and then it was a much lighter book to carry on. But then I bought it again. But it presumably, was, you ripped it down the bind, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't try and Jeff Capes the motherfucker. <laughs> That'd be a great book to read. Half. Fuck. <laughs> just half the song. Just oh, getting good. Spring Hill Jack. So oh, frustrating. Uh, but it's yeah. But because I've been on lots of walks. I mean the. The old London, which he talks about, is so mm. amazing. Mm. You can still see loads mm. of it if you go walking around. Yeah, yeah. The, That's the how city. you know we're old, Rich, because yeah. we get excited by going yeah. on walks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanted to ask you about, do you remember being on Nevermind the Full Stops? 
I do. It was yeah. the first and last comedy panel show oh, I ever did. <laughs> I did that. It's the guy by the guy who writes Downton Abbey. Julian Fellows is the, was the host. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I was such a prick. Oh, I, uh, next level. Yeah. Next level. <laughs> it was such a fucking awful panel show. Do you remember show. Brian Sewell? Yeah. Yeah, he's like the TV version of Brian yeah, Sewell. You know? I'm just so important. It was like doing a really d- difficult exam, and then he goes, <laughs> and it was about punctuation. I mean, it's a, it was a panel show about punctuation. Yeah. And then if you got it wrong, he goes, oh, dear, do you not know oh, how to d- use those semicolons? I, I generally told him to fuck off at the end. That's during, the, during the retakes, I said, oh, fuck oh. off. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> and the audience, the tiny audience there, applauded. I wondered if you had a... If you, if you, oh, fuck. That's brilliant. I love that. I love that. Did you have a nice time on it? Uh, you know what? I, honestly, it was... I, I don't quite remember it. I'm thinking it was like uh, 09, something like that. It was a while Maybe ago. Maybe 08 even. Than that, yeah. I think they sort of brought me on to do like a sort of word-laden... I, don't, I, don't, I think I did a song or something, oh, so I don't know if I was fully involved in the actual panel. Okay. Um, I don't know about panel stuff, man. It's, uh, it's a special kind of... Let's call it a talent. Okay. Uh, but it's, a, <laughs> it's a certain kind of person who wants to do it and yeah. can do it, and some of them. I mean, some of them are great, I think. But here's, what, here's all I'll say on this. I only want to make TV that I would watch. Yeah. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but no one allows you to make that. That's why the, I think being in acting. That's why I'm not richer than I, I should be, you know. You know. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, I mean, Bruv, I, why do you live here? <laughs> leave me alone, man. We have to do this every day. <laughs> oh, dear, man. All right, I'll ask you. I'll ask, let's, let's get it. Let's lighten up with some cock questions. Wicked. Uh, should penis transplants be allowed? Because mm. they're happening, and they could uh, come for yours next. That's what I'm saying. So what, so what are we saying here? Transplanting a penis onto another man? Well, at the moment, it's mainly used for good. Are we talking about, good. you know, the switch? <laughs> well, no, that as well. But it's but it's actually more what it is. It's people who've lost their penis, and there's lots of ways that can happen. So there's lots. There's lots so we're talking about penis donating. Yeah. What so we, so okay. dead. So a dead. You get a dead person's penis. Hopefully. Oh, right. So it's not okay. like, uh, I've lost my penis in a horrific accident. Yeah. I'm really good mates with Richard Herring. <laughs> well, that's what I'm worried about. He I'm just, I'm just worried so that it's some... it's a dead guy's dick. At the moment, I think that's acceptable. But it gets hard. But, yeah, well, yeah, if you can... I suppose it is it hard. If you... It's already hard, right? <laughs> that's, that's the nature Are of rigor mortis. Are you imagining slightly grey Frankenstein stitches? Yeah. It must go hard, yeah. right? <laughs> I think they get it before it goes, uh, before that happens. So I think it'll be, it, you know, in the same way that if you're, you died and I, I thought I'd, I'd have a go at that liver, that looks like a nice I liver. would donate my dick, definitely. Yeah. And I, you know what? I would, go, I would go the whole nine yards. I would have a fluffer by my bedside <laughs> for my last, my final moments. Yeah. So at the very least, a semi. Best case scenario. Full on wood. And then they pass can, it on. They can pump it pass up. Pass it on. I, well, no, I know a bit about the mechanics of this because I did. I, in my book, Talking Cock, uh, available on Kindle, uh, you, I went to the uh, Iceland Phallological Museum, and they were trying. At the time, they didn't have one. They were trying to get a human penis. They had all the penises of every mammal in Iceland. In what? Uh, in like in glass, ge- in glass jars. jars, and and yeah, also and some mounted on the wall. Some of them in dried out, so they were like kind of 
moose heads, but they were <laughs> moose cocks or whale cocks were usually the big ones. Uh, and they, there, was a, there was an old guy uh, who was a Nazi guy called... Uh, I forgot his name, but he, he was really old and he'd had sex with loads of women and he was a Nazi, but he wanted to give his penis to the museum when he died. So they had it all in plan that they were going to, when he was dead, mm. they'd immediately ring a doctor, whip it off before rigor mortis set in and then, and, and before anything went wrong so wow. they could pump it up so it could be, it could be erect in so the museum. No, I don't want to do it. This is just like the EU thing. I don't want to side <laughs> with fucking Nazis, man. I don't want to... That idea, you've ruined that idea okay, for me right. well, we'll leave your penis where it is. Did you watch Blackfish the other night? No. Has anyone seen that film? Yeah. That film was, like, it really affected me. Right. Like, I fucking love whales now. But uh, on, on another note, though, there is a scene where they're just jerking off a whale <laughs> for, like, ages. Yeah. And it was really disturbing. Um, how big is the whale's cock like well, when you're stood next to it? There's, there are some really big ones. There's one that's probably six foot tall, actually, thinking about it. So that, that you know, there could be a six foot tall whale penis that you went on a date with. That's a whole yeah. new story. Yeah. Uh, and much but, more, like, realistic. That yeah. could happen. Yeah, could that... that you could fall in could love happen. with a whale penis. <laughs> could happen. Yeah, yeah. Without the whale... There was a woman who married a Ferris wheel once, you know, yeah. so... A woman married the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Well, it's not a Ferris wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least you can ride a Ferris wheel. <laughs> I, I want to see that Eiffel Tower scenario. If that is special celebrity, if you've been in a film with Ricky Gervais, you go to the Eiffel Tower, they go, hey man, we'll let you go on the, the Ferris wheel. It's a Ferris wheel, just so it all opens up. For celebrities only. Um, okay, have you got what it takes to be a spy? That wow. is one of the questions from the internet. <laughs> Uh, uh, I don't, I'd like to think I do. I like to think I do because I think if if you can do stand up and acting, then you do you do have like a natural sort of bullshit ability. But that said, like when I'm when I'm not on stage, I'm not disinterested, bro. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm just not disinterested. I don't always have the gift of the gab, yeah. and I think that would concern me. Right. And I also I met a dude recently, who I think. I thought was a spy and I, okay. I spoke to his good friend and he goes yeah we've all thought he's been a spy for like 10 years and I was like give me details and he was like well a lot of the time he says I've got to go like in the <laughs> middle of a, like a meal and then he comes back two days later yeah. and they say where the fuck did you go and he says like to Gejistan <laughs> why and he's like oh, I just had some shit I had to do <laughs> He's not a very good spy, is he? If he's standing there, he's just taking pictures of stuff with a little camera. These are his very close friends, so I think he gives yeah. them enough so that they don't hate him, you know, because he does disappear. Then I realized, I picked up The Guardian one day and he was on the front cover. Oh, right. Yeah, talking about how it was just after Paris, the atrocities there. Yeah. And he was talking about the levels of threat for this country. And he, he's not fully a spy, but he is like... Um, one of the leading experts right. and, and easily the youngest in the world okay. on uh, like fighting terrorism. He's a fucking cool guy. I reckon I can, we can work out who he is. And now. I don't think I could be him. He's got an okay. Italian name. You can look him up. Okay, I'm going to find him. I'm going to find him and reveal to the world that he's a spy on my podcast. <laughs> then he'll have, will have me wiped out. Oh no, we'll have to wipe this bit. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll end, I'll end on this. This is a new emergency question. Do you ever worry that you've already lived your life and are now in a care home with Alzheimer's disease? <laughs> um, 
and what you perceive as reality is just a distorted memory of the first time this happened. Oh, oh dude. Oh, man. You can't leave me on that, man. That's, dude, killing me. Magic, could be there. There's no way you would know, though, is there? You'd just think, I'm living this. Yeah, that's so... Dude, if, if, if this was like 20 years ago and I was still smoking as much skunk as I did then, <laughs> I would have just like collapsed off the chair. Like, that would have just ruined me. I'd like to think not. <laughs> I'd like to think not. But who knows, man? Who well, knows? Well, it would be awful to... That's what, it'd just be awful if I'm in a care home and all I'm doing is reliving the Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Like, wow. It's hard, it's hard enough the first time, some of them. <laughs> Wait till you hear the Tony Law one. Fucking hell. I mean, it's... Uh, You've heard it already, of course, you're at home, but uh, it's, it was amazing, but oh, I don't want to go through it again. <laughs> it's an awesome thing you got here, though, man. It's like, fun, isn't it? It's all right. It's, you know what's I've great? I've dipped in and out, but now I'm going to be a proper, yeah. I'm going to be a proper dedicated what listener. What I like about it is it's, you know, it can be, it's just really different every time, even though I ask the same questions. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it's, you know, it's really, there's a really nice uh, vibe. I, I've when I was doing this today, I just I had such fun just um, researching both uh, you and, and last week, Lauren. Uh, and, uh, that was a great show, yeah, that Lauren last, week. last week. And, uh, you know, I just thought, this is great. You know, it'd be nice to just do this, really, ideally. But, you mm. know, then I'd die and my baby would starve to death. So uh, it's <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, well, look, it's been... I'll, I'll, well, let's... I mean, I, I could ask you... Uh, Buzz Kenya, is there anything purple within 10 feet of you? What now? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to see the audience okay. in this light. I guess someone's wearing something purple. That lady's wearing a purple cardigan. Yeah. There you go. Okay, well done. Is it a purple cardigan? Can you confirm that? She yes. can confirm that. She Lauren Laverne didn't see that last week. You knew she was sitting right there, weren't you? It's weird that you were there yeah. wearing the same clothes. Don't you ever change? It's <laughs> a whole week ago. It's been uh, lovely talking to you. Go and check out uh, all the YouTube comedy stuff. is really funny, but also the music stuff's great. They're doing, Thank you. I mean, they're doing loads of fucking acting You're in a new series. Uh, yeah, it actually starts... Uh, Brief Encounters. Yeah, Brief Encounters on ITV1. I think it starts in the first week of July. You're playing a sexy policeman. I've seen sexy you, policeman. You had your yeah. top off in everything. I've got my top off in the trailer, dude. Yeah, I've I seen didn't it. think... I was very surprised <laughs> by that. I didn't think that was going to be in the trailer. I was very concerned about the topless acting because yeah. I might look like I look after myself I, I really really don't okay I don't I've never been in a gym I don't do any of that stuff like I said I used to be overweight I just don't know what happened I didn't change my lifestyle I just got lucky like I was just that lucky prick you know um, but you know I'm not like built or anything so when they said you got to take your shirt off you know answer the door in like a little towel I was like okay guys like it's just hairy brown jelly under here there's nothing <laughs> There's no like muscle, it's not like, you know. It looked good to me in the brief snatch line. Like, all the other actors in this shit, all the other actors in it. Uh, yeah. They're, they're down the gym after the, you know, I drink with the sound guys, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> they go to the gym before and after and they're all ripped. And you see them in the show, they're all yeah. ripped. And I spoke to the producer, I said, I'm really concerned about this. And she said, because it's set in 1982, she was like, it's the 80s, nobody was ripped. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my theory on it. Cool. Well, look out for that Taskmaster you're going to be in as oh, well. Oh, yeah, so. with the lovely Alex Horn, Greg Davis. That's yeah. coming up on Dave pretty soon. That's a great function. Murder and Successful with Tom Davis. Yeah, yeah, that's great as well. That's a great show as well. BBC uh, Three. Fantastic. Well, I'll give a massive round of applause to Doc Brown. Cheers, okay, guys. Ben, ben, Thank ben. you very much. Thanks for having me. 
You have been listening to Richard Herring's Letter Squad, the podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Doc Brown, Ben Bailey-Smith. He's got a hundred different names. Listen to the music. It is by Pest. They are a good band. Thank you very much to Go Past Stripe and all the people who work on the filming of the show, which you are not seeing right now. Thank you very much to the Leicester Square Theatre for having me into their Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre. Thank you very much to the British Comedy Guide, who hosts this podcast and iTunes for stealing it and letting you listen to it, if that's how you're doing it. My producer is Ben Walker. Apparently, he's very helpful to some acts. And it is a fuzz. It is a gofasterstrike.com. It is a Sky Potato production for the internet. Thanks for listening to the podcast. There's lots of ways you can help us out, as always. Go to gofasterstrike.com. That's a good way. Or go to richtownie.com slash gigs and see if I'm coming near to you. You can buy DVDs. You can buy badges. Uh, you can come and see the show. Go to the Leicester Square Theatre website leicestersquaretheatre.com, I think it might be, and you can buy tickets to forthcoming shows. We've got loads more to come in this series, so do stay tuned for some fantastic guests uh, I'm very excited about. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends if you like. They might be interested as well. You never know. There's lots to catch up on, isn't there, if they haven't listened to any idiots. All right, bye. <laughs>